The poker world suffered a tragic loss this week as we learned that on Sunday, September 6th, Mike Sexton had passed away in his home from prostate cancer. I'm old enough to remember the premiere of the World Poker Tour on the Travel Channel, but I'm far too young to have known Mike Sexton, the poker pro. By the time the poker world as we know it became familiar with Sexton, it was for his legendary commentary, not for his chops on the felt. These events were fun, informative, and they had a dash of playful narration led by Mike and Vince Van Patten. They had a way of making the game feel like a script. Almost that it was off of a movie screen larger than life, complete with high drama and eclectic characters. The WPT broadcast where Mike's vision brought to life and poker will forever be changed because of it. The truth is, this was just one of the many contributions Mike would make to the game. Not only did Mike have the foresight to know that the whole card camera would change the game as we know it, hence the success of the WPT, but he was also a first mover in online gaming. Mike was a major ambassador for Party Poker, dating all the way back to its early existence, where he was the face of the Party Poker Million Tournament in 2002. Mike would prove he could play as well, with most of his accolades coming late in his career, including a ninth place finish in the inaugural Big One for One drop, as well as a WPT title in Montreal 2016. But these accomplishments pale in comparison to the impact Sexton would have on the community he helped build. The poker world learned of Mike's illness just a week ago, as Linda Johnson announced that he was at home, on his deathbed, receiving 24-7 hospice care. An outpour of well wishes, support, and a flood of memories began to surface through poker Twitter. Mike Mattisau hosted a truly touching tribute which brought all four corners of the community together to speak about the impact Sexton had, not only on their game, but their careers, and most importantly, their lives. I sat back and I watched. I internalized just how much this man that I barely knew had helped shape my career and my outlook for the game and community that I'm involved in. I officially met Mike once. I was playing in Ivy's room sometime late in 2014, and I had hardly reached the point where I felt like I belonged. He wandered in to say hi to the group after what I assumed was the end of day for Five Diamond. Part of me was taken aback. After all, this was Mike Sexton. He was the voice of the World Poker Tour, somebody that I've been watching for the better part of a decade, somebody that I admired and respected, but most importantly, someone that I dreamt would eventually call my name as I made a major final table. Another part of me respected the fact that he was a player. And I recognized that even though we were at wildly different points of our career, we were on some level peers. As JRB greeted Mike, he worked his way around the table, introducing the commentary legend to the businessmen. I made myself small, as I often do when people who I deem to be larger than the game wander through those glass doors. But eventually I was spotted. JRB circled around to my end of the table, when to my shock, Mike exclaimed, You let Berkey in here? You boys are in for a fight. I laughed it off and I wished him well in the five diamond, but deep down I was completely floored. I was a nobody. There was no explanation as to why he knew who I was. But that unsolicited acknowledgement told me all I'd ever need to know about Mike Sexton the man. He was larger than life, yet humble to the core. He was our ambassador. He welcomed with open arms anybody with the dream to compete, and he took the time to know your name. He was the voice of our game, and in a lot of ways, the friendly face we all needed. This game can be merciless, and so often we desperately need a pat on the back as a friendly reminder that there's far more to life than the turn of a card. Mike embodied that reminder. I truly want to believe that he spent his final days looking ahead with the same calming optimism that was reflected in his day-to-day -day life. Our community lost more than an ambassador. We lost a loved one. Rest easy, Mike. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Solve for Why vlogcast. 
This is episode number 15. As you can see, my man Christian Soto is nowhere to be found. He's laying on his nuts on the beach somewhere, I'm sure, enjoying his birthday. Happy birthday, Chin. I'm joined by the infamous, maybe that's the wrong word. Infamous? Yeah. I don't. Wow. I feel like there's something going on okay. somewhere. All right. Uh, that's the first time hearing of it. But I, I can make up a whole story, Hunt. You, you know, could. you escaped from England you... after you wow. you uh, you buried your enemies. <laughs> now here you are living in the United States. You know, I thought doing this with you instead of Chim was going to be more serious, <laughs> but apparently never. not. We're not we're not in that vein. All right, no, never, that's good. No At least we're, I know what to expect now. We're in the intro, man. We're in yeah. the intro. You know, this is everything goes in the intro. Yeah, this is where All we right. keep it light. Okay. Um. So yeah, thank, thanks for joining me obviously no we've been talking about doing this for a while yeah conveniently worked out that christian disappears for weeks on end every time it's his birthday <laughs> yeah well i'm glad to be here i'm uh, glad to get a chance to talk with you like i've already done with chin so it's gonna be nice yeah i'll try not to uh to troll quite as heavily as he does well i don't think anybody could manage that <laughs> so uh i think you're safe he's like when, when when he gets you in this chair he's like the worst version of a therapist Oh, he's the he's an anti-therapist. Yeah, like, yeah, right, like, right. It's like kinda... it's precisely like what would trigger you the most right <laughs> yeah, now? <laughs> literally, exactly. It. It's like how can I mess with this guy or try to make him uncomfortable or something? How yeah. can I just generally decrease his emotional state? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, like, what will make you squirm? Yeah, because that, my friend, is what makes for a good I, interview. But the thing is, it's always easy to turn it around on him. So you can't. Uh, That's true. You can't be too unhappy about it when he yeah, gives. He, he gave me a couple of layups last time I did the when we did the Zoom call. Yeah. When, uh, <laughs> He made a couple of elementary uh, elementary errors, I think. Uh, never mind. I was sitting here head in hands. Yeah. I, I was like, <laughs> oh, God, we're talking about this, aren't we? I was like, why are we having this conversation? But if you're going to have it, then we're going to have it. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, that transitions pretty well, uh, I guess. Um, you know, a couple of the big things I want to talk about is what have you been doing during quarantine, yeah. first and foremost? But uh, I guess more specifically, what I think you, I, I feel like having gotten to know you a lot, uh, this year specifically has been an abrupt change for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh so I guess I'd like to hear a little bit of what your outlook is for poker, what sure. your aspirations are, like uh you know, how do you foresee yourself moving forward in this industry? Sure, absolutely. So the the um the starting point that is kind of central to to the whole change that I've gone through is at the beginning of this year, uh like middle of January, early January, um I went to a psychiatrist for the first time and I was prescribed uh, an SSRI, which is basically just a, an antidepressant medication or a, a medication that is psychoactive in some way. It was the first time in my life that I've taken one. And to, to put it quite simply, it like transformed like a lot of aspects of my personality pretty much overnight, but not, not in like a, a way where I felt like I wasn't myself anymore, but in a way where I felt like I actually could start to see certain things clearly that I hadn't seen clearly before. And part of what that did is it basically it evaporated a good part of my competitive instincts. Like I didn't, I didn't have a lot of like desire to like go out there and be the best anymore. You know, I, I found that now that I could think a lot clearly, um, now that I, like I had clearly addressed a chemical imbalance in my brain that had existed for the whole of my life up until this point, um, I was able to start to have a clearer vision on what I wanted for myself. And, um, the, poker is still a big part of that. I, I still absolutely have intention of being involved with poker, for as long as I can, you know, I don't, I don't intend to just fully quit poker and never play again at any point. But what I started to recognize, particularly as the pandemic hit, is that I think there's a, for a lot of people who maybe are more looking for a career that can um, connect them with people and allow them to, to help people and um, 
make what they feel is a really valuable social contribution, poker can only take you so far. And I, I started to, to think more and more about ways in which I could add elements to my life that would allow me to make more of a contribution, ways that I could, um, you know, take what I've, take the platform that I've been given through poker and um, be able to, to make use of that in a way that does something positive for people. Um, now that I, you know, I wasn't like the, it literally went from the time I spent every day on just trying to like get to the point where I felt like my mind was right and I could handle poker and I could, I could like feel positive about, um, the, the prospects for, for my poker career and things like that. The time I was spending per day on that was like a lot. I was doing a lot of like working out every day and meditating and all these things. I was taking up such a big chunk of my time just to get to like an equilibrium point where I felt balanced enough that I could play poker. You know, I felt like I, if I start a poker session when I'm out of that balance, I'm not going to play well. I'm not going to be able to play my best. I'm going to, so I'm going to try to prepare as best I can using all these methodologies that are available to me. But because of this chemical imbalance that I had for such a long time that was causing me a lot of depression, anxiety, things like that, I was not able to to reach that point of really having the optimal mindset without a ton of effort. Yeah. So poker was taking increasingly more and more and more effort. And coaching was getting to the point where uh, it started to be the same. Like to, to deliver the highest quality coaching session, I had to get every aspect of my life 100% correct to, to so that I could be mentally alert enough to deliver high quality coaching sessions. And, and it was exhausting doing that. But by the time I was prescribed what I'm taking now, it was just like easy. It just, yeah. it just, everything came very naturally. And, um, to go through a change like that is, is weird. Like it, it took me a while to get used to kind of what it felt like to, to have my perspective on a lot of things shift in a very short space of time. Like it was, and it, it cause it sort of, it sort of feels like like the metaphorically it's like having the wool pulled over your eye, like yeah, removing yeah. something that's been covering your eyes or whatever, you know? So the early portion of this year was kind of a weird couple months for me to get used to that. And then the pandemic hit and, uh, I started, you know, obviously spending a lot of time at home. Um, and that kind of led me more and more into, into a headspace where I, you know, poker was like less a uh, part of my agenda. I was, not super excited to like sit down and play long sessions. I was still playing, but I wasn't like hyper motivated for it, even though there was a lot of poker going on. There was a lot of like online tournaments and things like that going on. I wasn't super motivated to play, but I was still like, I was in a place where I was able to think clearly. I was able to, um, to start thinking about new projects that I might want to get involved with. You know, I was still working with poker detox. I was still obviously making content for, for Soulful Y and, um, and I felt like my brain was like almost like working on overdrive in in a sense where now I had like all these ideas of things I could do that I hadn't been able to do before because so much of my energy was taken up with like battling these mental health issues. And so I got to a point where I felt like I, I wanted to actually come to a decision about the, like some kind of project that I'm going to do that I'm going to dedicate some time and energy to that's going to be fun for me. And it's also going to hopefully be able to make a contribution that's going to help people. And that's that's where I came to the project that I'm on now, which is where I'm streaming and hope, streaming games and trying to promote mental health and things like that. And um, the essence of it was I got to a point where I felt like I had 
uh, less and less of my time was being taken up by poker because of pandemic and, and things like that that were going on. And I had a lot of energy to burn, a lot of creativity to, to, to try to dedicate to something that I wanted to do. Um, and I, I, even, I just got to a point where I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with an idea for something that's going to make a contribution in some way that is unique to me that can go beyond poker and not just be a case of like, oh, I, someone would say to me, oh, I, I really like your poker content, but someone would actually be able to say to me, like, you made a really big contribution to my overall well-being and things like that, because that that matters a lot to me. And uh, and so that's where I am now. I'm, I'm not planning on quitting poker anytime soon. I'm still coaching. I'm still going to make videos for you as soon as you, <laughs> as soon as you ask me to. Um, and I, I still intend to be a professional poker player for some time to come. But if I get to the point where this project grows to the, to the extent that I can start doing it more frequently, or I can start, you know, I can start doing it full time, even at some point, then I'm not necessarily going to say no to that because it's a, I hope that if it gets to that point, it'll be something that's actually making a difference for people. So um, sure. I guess that's where I'm at. Okay. So I have three follow-ups before we actually dive into three, okay. uh, the, <laughs> the, the project itself. All right. Grill me. Um, all right. So the first one is, you talk a lot or you spoke a lot about uh, the routine that was necessary in order for you to yeah. get into the mindset mm -hmm. where you were capable of playing. Yeah. Now, to me, that didn't sound exhausting at all. That sounded like the bedrock for a good, healthy, st sure. stable life. So I guess now that, uh, you know, you have less of an issue mm -hmm. um, being in that mindset, do you still find value in that sort of routine? Absolutely. And I should be clear, like I'm still... I'm still working out a lot. I'm still meditating every day and things like that. But the the difference previously was that I could do all that stuff and then still 50% of days, I would still feel like shit. Right. And I still couldn't get myself to the point of uh, where I couldn't guarantee that I would, I would play a session of poker and then feel very negative afterwards or like be very mentally affected by it. You know, I was putting so much time and energy into getting into the right mindset for these for 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 day to day yeah and it still wasn't getting me to that point of feeling like i was enjoying my life or i was i was getting a lot out of what i was doing and now the difference is i do all those things and i have a healthy lifestyle i have the the kind of lifestyle that like you say it's like the bed it's the foundation mm -hmm. but now it's actually doing what it should do, which is getting me to a point where I actually feel good consistently every day. Right, right. So that's the difference, yeah. Okay, so my second follow-up then is, now that it's less overall work and stress to get you to the point of playing, yeah. do you find that you lack the, the desire or the ability to execute? Like basically, have you lost your motivation to continually pursue poker at the highest level? I, I don't think I've lost my motivation to play. I've lost my motivation to grind. I think okay. that's I think that's the the description that I would apply. Yeah. Like there are still things that will get me really excited to play. Like if you told me there was going to be the the regular World Series main event tomorrow, I'd be like super excited about sure. that. Sure. If you told me there were really great live events going on and COVID was over and like all that stuff, uh, I'd be super excited about that. But what I wasn't particularly excited to do was what was available to me at the time, which is just sit at home and grind online MTTs, yeah. you know? And um, Did you consider traveling at all for, for any of this stuff? Uh, yeah, I, I certainly did. But um, Mexico 
for, for a variety of reasons associated with the healthcare needs that my wife has, Mexico for a long period isn't really an option for me. Sure. And Canada is closed. Right, so right. we were thinking about going to Vancouver and we were like sweating when they were going to reopen the border. But as soon as it got to like June, we were like, okay, it's not going to reopen anytime yeah, yeah, soon. So yeah. we just kind of gave up on that. Yeah. That but we did think about traveling. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then last follow up as far as like poker related goes. So, uh, you know, you are in a different mindset now. Yeah. And you're also at a pretty mature portion of your, your career. Yep. You know, you've accomplished a lot. You're very well studied. So, you know, execution really does become the, the forefront. Yeah. So I guess, uh, as far as like what motivates you, um, of, of this short selection that I'm going to give you, just give me like a hierarchy of some sort. Right. Okay. So, so if it comes down to competition, money, accomplishments or accolades, mm -hmm or uh, just a means to an end? Like, where does poker fall for your, your um, spectrum? I, it's, it's weird because the main factor of it for me now is not really any of those. It's like, I still look, I still uh, love poker for the original reason that I did, which is that it feels like a, a puzzle. You know, it's, it's, it's the challenge of it and um, the, the intrigue of being able to figure this game out because it's so deep. And I know that's, you know, that's something you've you've always ta talked a lot about and yeah. how the, the the depth of the game and how how much variety there is to it. I still love that aspect of it. I love that aspect of coaching. And when I play, I try to focus on that aspect now. I try to put myself in situations where maybe it's less familiar to me. You know, it's, um, I, I'm certainly thinking about like learning new games, like learning to like going and playing a bunch of PLO or something like okay, that. Okay, so like, that, that, that's actually a good, let me double down on that a little bit. Then. Sure. Uh, so then like from a business element, what, what does your career path look like? Like, uh, is it going to be branching off into a bunch of other games and moving linearly? Or are you still trying to reach that vertical scale where like someday you're potentially playing high rollers? I, I don't think I, I'm pretty sure that I am not ever going to be playing super high rollers. I, I am fine with that. Yeah. Like I, I recognize that maybe I have the potential that I could, mm -hmm. but I don't know if the amount of effort that it would take to get to that point is really worth it for me in terms of what I want out of my life at the sure. moment. Um, I am completely fine being a good winning tournament reg and what I consider to be a really good coach um, for the rest of my career because yeah. that's fun to me. Mm -hmm. And as, as long as I'm playing in games that are fun, I'm going to continue to enjoy playing and hopefully I'm going to continue to study enough that I'm going to keep winning. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't see my involvement in poker like just completely falling off or, or falling out of, out of, you know, whatever. But, um, I, I also don't think I'm going to get back to the point where I can just like grind four or five days a week because sure. that, that grind mentality, I think is what sort of, uh, what disappeared when I like went through this change and yeah, I, like yeah. my mental health issues were like not driving me so much anymore. I didn't have this like anxiety of like, I have to try to get better. I have to try to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, now it's like, I want, now it's, I want to try to get better yeah. and I want to, learn aspects of the game that i don't already know um and if that means you know taking a little bit of a hit to my annual ev i don't mind that much yeah. you know um if that means that i spend more time on coaching because that's what's more fun at a certain time i don't mind that at all like i i think that essentially what's happened is the the competitive drive has been replaced by like curiosity sure. and, and i'm i'm gonna follow my curiosity in poker now more so than i'm gonna follow like the desire to just like be the best tournament player in the world. I think um, that's really good because there's no there's no uh, real end to that, right? Right. Like there there's there's a there's a burnout factor that comes with the competitive drive. Yeah. To just grind. Mm -hmm. But whenever you're just competing against an older version of yourself 
to continue to learn more, grow, and get better, mm-hmm. that's endless. Like yeah. we're, we're never going to th- this game's not deterministic, mm-hmm. right? Like we're never going to arrive at an endpoint where we're like, okay, here's the exact yeah. puzzle pieces you need to put in line in order to be the best player in the world. Right. Um, for everybody listening at home, I think it's really uh, helpful to be honest with your goals and aspirations. Mm-hmm. And not just be fluffy with like these dreams where you're pie-eyed and head yeah. in the clouds, right? It's yeah. not that you're not capable of playing super high rollers. You probably could be. But, you know, there's some diminishing returns there. Right. And it's a lot, lot of work for maybe a short stint. Yeah. Right? Because, like, you can't stop that work once you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I think that, like, recognizing that it it offers you a lot of freedom in exchange. Yeah. Um, because staying ahead of the curve for the level that you're at won't take nearly the same uh, like energy mm-hmm. or uh, man hours as sure. a whole, yeah. which now opens you up for projects like what you're working on. Right. And it, it's, it's not even the case that I'm, I'm going to stop like studying how these guys are playing and studying like how to get better or, or how to add extra dimensions to my game or anything like that. It's literally just a case of like where I'm setting my direction, you know, or where I'm, like how how much time per week am I going to spend on X Y or Z? Like yeah. that that's what's shifted a lot lately. And uh, it you know on, on, in addition like part of part of the, my sort of practical consideration of why I'm probably never going to play high rollers is because traveling a lot would be really difficult with the family situation that I have. Like it would be really hard for my wife to travel abroad a lot, and it would be really hard for her to have me be away at random times to go play a poker tournament. Sure and considering that I could go play a poker tournament and lose a bunch of money and come back and like I've spent time away from my wife and I'm not getting a guaranteed return from it mm-hmm. like that the returns on that would need to be huge in order for me to actually justify that you know this this year uh the trip that we took to Austin and the trip that I took to Europe with poker detox in January were the first two extended times that my wife and I have been apart since we've been together um and it was really tough on her because she she has mental health issues that she deals with she has physical issues that she was dealing with at the beginning of the year although thankfully those have cleared up a lot now which is great um but that was tough and i don't want to i don't want to have to compromise my family for poker i i want poker to fit in with my family right. and i think that if that means me you know earning 10% less or or doing more coaching and less playing or whatever it is like my family life comes first and sure. it should be the same for everybody. And, and I think that I'm in a place now where I have visibility on my priorities that I didn't have a year ago, yep. you know, and I'm hoping that that's actually going to make me more effective in what I'm doing in poker. It's going to make me a better coach. It's going to make me better for this company. Uh, I think it did make me better for poker detox, although I, I recently stepped away from my responsibilities with them to focus on these new projects. But um, I think that uh, I'm in a really good place in terms of, uh, having perspective and having my goals in order which i probably for the whole of my career up until this point i don't think i had as clear of a perspective on what my goals are as i do now so i'm very grateful for. i that. mean that makes a lot of sense right when we're in our 20s we're just shooting for the moon <laughs> yeah. and wherever you land you land yeah um but yeah you're in a different position now like you do have a family to take care of mm-hmm. you have a lot more responsibilities so sure I, I do think it's very noble to like prioritize that appropriately Mm -hmm. and not just kind of throw caution to the wind and say like, ah, we're going to take a run at this thing. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, the ability to, to take a run at something is still there in that, you know, I I can still play the main event every year. I can can still play whatever tournaments at the world series I want. Like I'm not going to, 
you know, I'm not stepping away from the things that I enjoy the most about poker. Mm-hmm. I'm, st- I mean, if anything, I'm stepping away from the stuff that I don't really enjoy that much. Right, <laughs> so right, like, yeah. It's yeah. not a huge loss. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, all right. Well, I think that like leads us into a lot more of like what you're doing now. Sure. Which uh, I find to be a pretty interesting project. Um, one, because you're literally starting from scratch. Yeah. And two, because I don't know how it works. Okay. Like, I... You obviously have a lot more experience than I do as far as like playing video games go. Sure. But if you were just to throw 25 games in front of me, mm-hmm. I would be very bad at 20 of them. Sure. So like the idea of streaming them would not go well. Well, the, the, the first misconception there is that streaming is anything to do with being good at a game. Fair. Like the there are streamers who get really popular off of being the best at Fortnite or being mm-hmm. the best at whatever game. But that's mm-hmm. one segment of the streaming market. The rest of it is streamers who build a community around what they're doing and a community of people that that likes them and likes what they're putting out and that can uh, relate to each other mm-hmm. you know it's it's almost um it's a platform now for people who live a lot of their lives on the internet like most people these days under the age of whatever end up doing uh it's a platform for people to form communities and that was the genesis of, of what i'm doing now it, it was the the idea that i since the pandemic started i started gaming a lot more because i had more time on my hands um I started thinking, how can I turn this enjoyment that I have into something that can benefit other people? And the idea of combining gaming with with something that could be useful for people mental health-wise is, uh, it seemed quite natural for me because if I look back at times in my life when I've been struggling, this is the kind of thing I would have wanted to exist. Mm-hmm. I would have wanted something to exist when I was like, when I was 17 or whatever, I could just log on and like watch some guy play games and talk to the people in his chat and like hang out and, and you know, share a couple of things I was struggling with maybe and just kind of feel better. And that's what I want to provide. I want to build a community, um, as you say, from scratch, but it's not really from scratch because I've been lucky enough that a bunch of people from my Twitter and people that I know in poker have already come into my stream and helped get it started and things yep. like that. So that's cool. Um, the thing that I recently sort of arrived at as what the the driving sort of goal of this is, is that I want people to be able to experience more of the feeling of uh, feeling that somebody else knows how they feel. So like that feeling when somebody tells you, oh, I know exactly how you feel about that because I went through that as well. Yeah, That feeling is really, really powerful. And when it comes to mental health, it can, it can literally save lives. Like it can literally bring someone who's on the point of suicide to not killing themselves. Sure. And uh, that concept that, um, you know, that mental health can be so affected by community and it can be so, so much improved by the people around us, um, it, it makes me feel like uh, these days, when you look at everything that's going on in society, when you look at the way that society is shifting, we're shifting in a direction where emotional intelligence is going to be very, very important for everybody moving forward because of the way technology is changing the way we interact. So... If I can do anything that's going to help people become more emotionally intelligent, become more in touch with their own feelings and emotions, understand their own mental health, talk about it with other people, increase that level of openness, um, all those things are big goals. But ultimately, what it comes down to is if I can if I can do something that I enjoy, which is hanging out and playing video games, and other people can benefit from recognizing that there's a community there that they can talk to when they feel a little rough uh, or when they're going through anxiety or something like that. Um, you know, that, that would really make me feel like I am contributing a lot to these people. So, um, I'm excited to, to keep doing it. It's really fun so far and, um, seems to be going well. So we'll see how it goes. So walk me through, uh, a little bit of like how the stream is set up, like what your, 
short-term objectives are like stream by stream and uh, I guess like what the viewer can expect to see. Sure. So um, stream by stream, what I'm doing at the moment is I'm streaming uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 9 a.m. Pacific and each day has like a theme basically. So Tuesday is Gratitude Day where the idea is that as a conversation starter, the idea in chat is to talk about something that you're grateful for right now. So, you know, I keep a gratitude journal every day. So a lot of the stuff that I will put in that gratitude journal um, will come up on stream. People will ask me, um, people will ask other people in the stream. Um, and it just provides a source of kind of positivity. And then Wednesday is almost like the flip side of that. And this was my wife's idea, calling it Wines Day, where the idea is you can just come in and like, if you just want to complain about something, you have like free reign to just yeah. to just bitch and moan about whatever's going on in your life. And not in a like a negative way, but in like a get something off your chest kind of way. Um, and then Thursday is Therapy Thursday, where I talk a lot about uh, experiences I've had in therapy because my therapy appointment is on Wednesday afternoons with my therapist every week. So I come out of therapy on Wednesday and then sometimes I'll talk about what I did in therapy the next day. Uh, people in chat will talk about like, I'm trying to find a good therapist right now, but I don't know what I should be looking for. Like they'll ask questions about therapy. We'll talk about experiences. So each day has that kind of a theme. I'm, I'm thinking about whether I should start streaming on some other days, like on weekends, but I'm not sure about that. I don't necessarily want to go to like four plus days a week because that's a lot. Um, so the, the conversation topics tend to vary. Um, it, at a lot of the time, it's literally just me playing a game and kind of like commentating and, and someone will be talking about this game because they played this game and, and it'll just be very, very casual. Like it's not like we're having deep emotional conversations six hours a day sure. on every stream. But the idea is that I want it to be a space where people feel comfortable that they can talk about that stuff. And I've already had several people come in because they found me through searching Twitch on the mental health tag and actually come in and say, hey, like, I feel like shit like that, feel like shit today. Like, I'm struggling with this. I had one guy come in who was struggling with an alcohol problem. And, you know, we kind of talked about that and he just got some stuff off his chest. I had um, I had someone come in the other day saying he, he was like a high school student who had anxiety about going back to high school soon. So I've had different people come in with different things they've been struggling with. And I don't want to position myself as like the guy that gives advice. I just want it to be a place where they can come in and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And the community, whether it's me or other people in chat, which it has been so far, um, can say like, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Like, I know how you feel, that kind of thing. And and so far, I think uh, I think you know the people who've been in my chat have been great. Uh, we have a couple of a uh, couple of people who've become moderators, um, which is great. So I'm I'm sort of growing in that regard, and uh, hopefully that's going to help uh, build the stream up a little bit. In terms of short term, I tend to if if I can. If I can stream for a few hours and then I come out of it and I have one or two new followers on Twitch, that's a that's a decent stream. And I'm up to like 60 something followers right now, you know. Um, and I don't have any actual subscribers who who pay month to month, but that's partly because I haven't set up subscriber benefits and things like that. So I'm sort of I only just got Twitch affiliate, so I'm just looking at like how to grow the stream in that sense now. Yeah. So long term, obviously I just want the stream to become as big as it can be. And I'm I'm working on ways to maybe start producing other content that's related to mental health outside the stream. But I'm very conscious that I'm not a qualified therapist and I don't want to be going out there and, and necessarily positioning myself as a guru of mental health. I want to just create spaces where people feel like they can talk about this stuff and encourage them to do so. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that, that more so than more so necessarily than more actual qualified therapists. I, I think just that, that kind of openness uh, of conversation spaces is, is something that's really needed. Yeah, so I, I think that brings a couple interesting questions uh, as a follow-up. Sure. Um, so 
I get what you're saying, like not wanting to position yourself as a guru. I talk about this all the time. Right. I say the idea of a thought leader is uh, one that should be heavily revered mm -hmm. in our society. But the problem is, is that the industry built around it is bullshitty. Right. Right. It's just full of a bunch of pompous people exactly. who have yeah. gotten lucky, you know, hit water falling out of a boat. Right. And now tout themselves as gurus or some sort of like, you know, life shamans or whatever yeah. the case may be. Right. And it's very bullshitty. So I understand the desire to want to be in that space and mm -hmm. help, but also want to avoid the 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 preconceived label of uh, a know-it-all or whatever. Right. So I guess my first follow-up question is, you know, how does this grow? How does this scale? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what direction do you take it? Because I do think that there's a way to do this well yeah. without actually becoming a guidance counselor of the internet or, yeah. or anything of that nature. Yeah, I, I for sure agree. I've been I've been talking with um, one of our friends of Soul for Why, uh, Gianna, who you remember, yep. who's yep. Uh, advised us on a couple of things. Um, and she's been giving me a lot of great advice uh, on how this project might grow and how... Uh, how I might see it down the line, uh, and so I'm really, I'm really only a, a few days removed from just having like set out my initial, I guess, blueprint of of like if this thing were to really grow, mm -hmm. what would I see it as being? Um, and and what I would want is to to be able to build something that could lead to hopefully having a knock on effect into other communities where I could build something that allows me to connect to other people who are streaming, other YouTubers, influencers that have communities built around them. Where I can encourage those communities to be to have the same level of openness, uh, and and to encourage those people who are leaders in their own industries, whether it's something related to gaming or something else, that this person has a following. Um, if someone has a following, they can use that to say, "Hey, remember everybody out there, take care of yourselves, mental health wise. Remember, you know, be open about this thing. You know, they can if they share a part of themselves, it makes people inherently more willing to do the same." I would ideally like this to become something where I'd be able to spread that influence and allow it to snowball into other communities. I would like to be able to to take it into being something that could uh, position me in a place where I would be a person who's connecting these communities together or something in that regard. I, I still have a lot of brainstorming to do in terms of how I'm actually going to monetize any of this. Uh, I still have no idea how someone's going to pay me for this, but... That, that can come later. Right yeah. now, I'm concerned with building these communities and, and making that impact. And I I certainly think that there's a lot of need for that going on. There's there's a lot of people out there that need to be uh, encouraged to, to be open about their emotions and to be open about their mental health. The overall direction, as far as how, how does it go beyond streaming, um, there's a lot of possibilities there. And I, I'm still exploring that for sure. So yeah. uh, if you have ideas, tell me off camera. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm, you know, mental health to me is something that uh, I find to be not just under discussed, but like almost to the point of taboo where yes. we're just very poorly educated. Exactly. Um, and most people have very negligible experiences, despite mm -hmm. the fact that almost everybody's been impacted pretty greatly sure. either directly or indirectly yeah, by every, someone else in their every, life. Everybody, if, if you haven't had mental issue, mental health issues yourself, you probably know someone who has like right. a family member or something like that. And the generation that you and I are both a part of the millennial generation, like we're, we're more impacted by this than probably any generation that came before because of the experiences that most of our parents had yeah. in the, you know, the fifties, sixties, seventies growing up. Um, you know, we, we were both, uh, you were born in the 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there are probably a lot of other people out there born in the 80s whose parents went through a lot of shit that impacted them mental health wise, but who 
never had the opportunity to discuss any of that stuff, you know, who, whose parents never discussed it, who, you know, they maybe grew up in a culture that told them that, especially as a man, that told them like the best way to handle this stuff is just to shut the hell up and deal with it. Yeah. You know? And that kind of culture has really done a lot of damage. And I, I, what I want long-term is to be part of making our culture moving forward, something that, that kind of inverts that. And, and to put a very fine point on it, we see a lot of the lack of emotional intelligence that exists in, in our society manifested. You know, we see kids going out there and shooting people at school because they aren't being heard and they aren't being listened to mm. as to what their problems are. You know, we see violence all the time that occurs as a result of people not understanding what they're feeling and how to express it and not having a place to get the help that they need. Yeah. And there are a lot of different mechanisms through which this help needs to come, whether it's healthcare systems and other things like that. But ultimately, there is no possible bad thing that can happen from people being more open and more honest about what they're going through and what they're feeling at different times. So, yeah, personally, I think that's the thread that you should tug at is just general EQ. I think yeah. I think for a few reasons. Number one, it's not associated with uh, being a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it is really just um, the environment uh, of IQ, if you will. Sure. Right. So like if IQ is inherent to to nature mm -hmm. eq is inherent to nurture yeah and uh you know i think you're in a good position to be that nurturer yeah um the other thing is it's it's a lot easier to frame mm -hmm. right the the general framework of mental health and trying to destigmatize it is such a gauntlet yeah you know it's it's right. really difficult because you're talking about two separate two totally separate entities if mm -hmm. you talk about people with low eq those are people that are just like, you know, kind of self-centered, a little bit checked out, maybe have some other stigma that, that is re reducing their ability to uh, show any empathy to mm -hmm. their fellow man. And then you're talking about clinical, mm -hmm. right? You're talking about actual mental health disorders yeah. like schizophrenia right. or bipolar disorder or right. whatever the case may be. And the hard divide there mm -hmm. is very difficult, but there's a ton of overlap. Yeah. So exactly. it's like if you uh, I, personally, I think if you focus very heavily on the EQ, mm -hmm. you still capture a lot of the people who have clinical mental health disorder. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Where you can you can still benefit them in some way, mm -hmm. but not the same way that, you know, meds or proper diagnosis or, right. or anything along those yeah. lines. Could. And I think the 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 tricky balance to strike there is I do think it's extremely important that we as a society normalize the idea that those those types of disorders don't have to prevent someone from being a functioning member of society yeah you know, the the those types of um i think we the, get better at the extremes we can recognize that like somebody who has autism yeah can be a functioning member of society yeah, yeah. but it's because we can look at them and know that they have autism yeah generally exactly. speaking and right? then so when, we can identify right and when we when we uh we hear that someone has schizophrenia we don't see that as an affliction that they manage day right. to day. Right. We see that as something that is uh, an inherent kind of black mark. I almost think person. we see it as a choice, right? Yeah. Like, cause we, we, we assign the word crazy pretty liberally, mm -hmm. not recognizing. I hate that word. I hate that word so much. Like yeah. that, that word has done so much damage. Right. And the, the word crazy or insane or whatever word like you want to use to, 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 generalize the idea that there is a certain category of person that just doesn't think like normal and they're unsalvageable yeah. and you just should write them off as crazy. Like right. I hate that word so much, but carry on. <laughs> well, no, I think your point is very valid because uh, the thing is, is like the way that we use insane and crazy mm -hmm. is with regards to a rational person who's acting irrational. Yeah. And I think that that's okay. Sure. The problem is 
What also gets lumped into that framework are people who are actually, by definition, right. yeah. crazy or insane. Yeah. Right. So it's like they have some sort of chemical imbalance mm -hmm. or they have some sort of clinical uh, affliction that yeah. is leading them down mm -hmm. a path where they don't see the same perception of reality as us. Right. And that requires a lot of empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Like we should feel a very specific way for those people and it should never be angry or dismissive exactly. or, you know, any sort of way that only further highlights the fact that they don't see the world normally the way that we do. Exactly. And then we also have to, to understand that the the language definition that we use there i mean I, you know me i always bring things back to language but like the the definition of whether someone does or doesn't have a certain disorder all that is it's it's whether the level of a certain chemical or whether the certain pattern that exists in their brain mm -hmm. crosses over a certain threshold right and everything exists on a scale prior to that you know so what you have is amongst the the grouping of people that are in the category of not clinically diagnosed with a mental health disorder. So maybe you've never had an anxiety disorder diagnosis or you've never been diagnosed with depression or something like that. There's a number of different ways that someone can be more vulnerable at certain sure, times sure, sure. because of chemical circumstances. They can they can make improvements to their life that may, might make them less vulnerable or they can be more vulnerable. And we have two domains. We have the therapeutic domain of you have depression or anxiety and you want to try to neutralize that. And then you have the domain of like, self-improvement or wellness where there's this domain where it's all about making improvements to your life and a lot of it is done by making improvements to the chemical makeup of your brain so a lot of it is dietary a lot of it is related to things like um even like cold water exposure and things, things that like release that. dopamine serotonin exactly there's yeah. that chemical element of like it's wellness yep. but there's so much overlap there there's a scientific overlap where you have to be able to to be qualified in that area to be able to say exactly what's going on in this case. Because if somebody convinces themselves that a certain issue, and this is what I did for a long time, convince themselves that a certain issue is because of a, a, an action that they're not taking. So like, I'm not eating the right food and it's my fault that I feel this way. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not taking this action that someone else is telling me is going to make my life better and they're going to blame themselves for that. They can, they can get stuck on a hamster wheel doing that and this is what this is exactly what happened to me. I got stuck on a hamster wheel experimenting with every single like personal development related thing or wellness related thing yeah. that I found that was like this is the thing that's supposed to make you feel better. And in the end what made the difference was correcting the actual chemical imbalance. Yeah. And then only then did I actually start to get the benefit of all this stuff sure. that everybody else was doing and seeing all these great benefits. And I was like, I'm doing this and I still feel like shit. What the hell's going on? Well, that's What's wrong that, that's really the problem is we don't have a perfect way of testing this yet. Exactly. It's and, so, yeah. And the fact of the matter is, is that the vast majority of humans are going to uh, be on that spectrum. Right. Right. And like you're saying, like, you know, when you don't cross that threshold over into an actual imbalance to the mm -hmm. degree where med medicine will help, mm -hmm. um, Nobody is going to fit one perfect mold, right? right? Mm -hmm. You know, if it's a one to 10 spectrum, you're not going to find that the majority of the population is at a five. Yeah. It's just going to be all over the one to 10. Mm -hmm. And these sort of activities uh, done together or done separately, whatever the case may be, are going to have differing corrective measures. Right. But, you know, the people who are promoting them are just basically speaking to the populace. Yeah. Of... You know, millions and millions and millions of people who are not achieving anywhere remotely close to their potential. Exactly. Due to the fact that they're ignoring what they could be actually correcting. Yeah. 
And I get it. Like you're right. That's problematic then for those who don't have the same mm -hmm. control. Right, because that's a culture that you see from the outside. Mm -hmm. You see the entirety of that, and you, you know, social media makes it so much worse. So you go on Twitter and you, you go on Instagram or whatever, and everybody around you is doing all these things to make their life better, and you're trying to do these things, and they don't have any impact, and yeah. you wonder why. The opportunity to actually understand yourself deeply enough to understand where something might cross over into a, a, an actual medical issue is so rare. Like I am so lucky that I happened to be married to somebody who had been through this experience herself that could say to me, hey, you should probably see a psychiatrist. Yeah. And the thing that gets me or the thing that makes me so concerned for what might be going on in our society is how many people out there that are doing all these things to improve their lives that are going to make things better but these people are people are still struggling. You know, people who, are like you, you get like professional athletes who might be might have the most perfect daily routine to engineer optimal performance, but then they have an undiagnosed disorder that they don't know about, and because of the the habits that are associated with the culture that they're a part of, they may never know about that until it's almost too late. You know, yeah. there have been there have been pro athletes, obviously most people in America wouldn't be familiar with this, but there's been a whole thing in the last five years or so in, in cricket where uh, players have started taking like six month breaks for mental health reasons mm -hmm. because the travel schedule that was associated with these players for a number of reasons that I won't bother going into, but they have a very intense travel schedule where they're away from their families for months at a time. And probably like 2008, when an international player like had a full on breakdown and had to like spend two years just outside of the game, did this did this get acknowledged at all? And until then, it was like everybody, like probably dozens of players were just like suffering without knowing this. Yeah. And now we're, we're developing a culture where players are getting help. Yeah. And what we need is for that to, to be transplanted into basically every industry. It's, it's really hard though, because the there there is that hard divide. And the second that you move away from the wellness uh, life performance mm -hmm. crowd, you move into the medical crowd. Mm -hmm. And just as this crowd gives you the recipe for all success being holistic, this other crowd just gives medicine. Well, always, that's true. Almost always, yeah. right? So it's so over-medicated. It's like if you come with any symptoms, they'll never say, have you tried eating better? Have you tried working out? Have you tried these things? They may ask, mm -hmm. but you know, it's difficult to have an honest conversation with somebody who... That's that's different outside the US. Uh, that's that's a characteristic that I've noticed in the US health system. It yeah. took... Well, uh, we're also probably one of the most deteriorated mental health-wise. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. this is why I think that having moved to the US, this has become something that I've, I'm really passionate about. No, like the... I'm on my second psychiatrist since coming to the US. And the reason I'm on my second is because I had to find one that I felt really understood that it wasn't just a case of increasing my dosage. Mm -hmm. You know, the one that I have now is really good at like holistic understanding. So she'll say like, have you tried a vitamin D supplement for right. certain things? Like she'll she'll talk about exercise. Um, it and, takes a wealth of knowledge for that. It does. So what- Most I, psychiatrists are not going to be very well right. versed in what, nutrition what, and fitness. Absolutely. But what I mean is outside the US- health systems are not quite so quick to prescribe, mm -hmm. not quite so quick to throw medicine at the problem. Um, and I think there's still some work to be done in terms of making people on the medical side a little bit more aware and trained, like you say, in nutrition and areas like that. But the US in particular struggles with that binary aspect where yeah. it's either, if they determine it's a mental health problem, they'll throw pills at it. And if they determine it's not, then it's your problem because you're not working hard enough. Right. And there is so much gray area there. Yeah, yeah like for, for, sure. for me, I was working really fucking hard and it was a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. 
And there were probably there were there were probably things I could have done more. Like I'm not saying that I kept to a workout schedule at the same time every time every time every day. Yeah. But like, I don't necessarily think that a human being should have to have a 100% perfect schedule in order to feel okay every day. Well, like, at, at the end the of thing. the day, there's an umbrella that covers all of this, right? Right. And it's personal education. Yeah. The more true. educated we each individually are on this spectrum, mm -hmm. the easier it is for us to seek out the proper outlets for that's help. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Right. But th I think that's where the United States fails miserably. Yeah. You know, not only is it not a conversation, but even when the conversation begins, where do you go for sources? Yeah, absolutely. And, and who, who is accrediting these sources? You right. know, how, how many sources are pretending that they're legit and actually aren't, you know? Right. Um, and I think that, uh, the thing that seems the the most natural to me, or the re one of the reasons why I went in this direction with the project overall, is that that idea of openness and people just being more willing to talk about what they're going through. Like nobody's ever going to say that's a bad thing. There's yeah. no there's no way to do that in the wrong way. There's right. no way there's no way that people sharing more of themselves is going to somehow make society worse. Mm -hmm. Like so. To use a soccer analogy, it's an open goal for society as a whole. It's like yeah, if yeah. we get better at that things will get better. Right. And um, the other stuff, like I'm very happy to leave the medical stuff to the medical professionals. I'm happy to leave the personal development stuff to the people who are experts in that area too. But the emotional awareness, the willingness to just talk to somebody and be honest and be open about it instead of being very closed up. Yeah. Um, that particularly in my home nation of the UK is, is a huge issue. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I feel like... Uh, I feel like maybe this is something that uh, having grown up in the UK, I'm particularly well placed to understand what a culture that doesn't talk about anything looks like because like, sure. we absolutely were not brought up to talk about anything. Uh, and I think, you know, that that's very reflective of America. Also, Great Depression through maybe mm -hmm. 1980 ish. Yeah. Uh, you know, those, those generations grew up really fucking hard. Yeah. Especially the men, you know, the gender roles were very, very, very. Right. Uh, broad and and you know as you said like men just weren't really meant to talk about anything mm -hmm. but really same with women they yeah. were expected to be quiet and meek and right. homemakers and you know kind of take on the world mm -hmm. without ever complaining about anything along the way yeah and uh you know hopefully one of the things that we'll see over the next 10 years or so is i think there's there's only so far there's only so long you can go with a society acting really closed up like that yeah. I, I, I think, think the correction's been very different now i think capitalism has like overtaken a lot of the correction mm -hmm. and now the vast majority of it is just like uh like, like never-ending stress yeah from the rat race yeah kind of like just catapulting into all households yeah i mean and this is this is why we you know there are there are there's a whole another podcast we could do talking about that topic there's yeah. there the reforms that are necessary to take care of people under some kind of vision of modern capitalism but right. that's uh that's a big conversation yeah, yeah i agree <laughs> uh all right i want to end it a little bit on a lighter note um Absolutely. so i i guess Talk to me a little bit like how the games fit into all of this, like why sure, gaming yeah. and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of what your vision is as far as orchestrating gaming moving forward. Like, does this ever become the 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 main conversation with the mental health as an underlying issue or? I don't think so. I think that when I started out, one of the, I started out using gaming as a vehicle in that when I was growing up, when I had rough times, gaming was like the thing that I turned to because it was fun and uh, it gave me that flow state feeling of like everything else is just yep. blocked out, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a vehicle to connect with people. And because gaming is so popular today, like something like 50% of the planet plays video games in some capacity I read recently. It seems like a good vehicle because it's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that I really enjoy. It's something that if you want to have a conversation 
with people and you want people to be open, it's much easier for them to do that when you're kind of casually hanging out, playing games instead of like, all right, come talk to me, everybody. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's a nice backdrop for the, the mental health part of the project. Um, but having said that, like, I love games. And I, if someone offers me the chance to be part of some project where for, for whatever period of time, there'd be a more of a focus on the gaming element, I'm not going to say no to that. But I recognize that it's such a big industry and it's such a difficult industry to break into I'm not hoping to like go out there and become a competitive esports guy or anything like that. The priority here is to make an impact on people and gaming is the vehicle to do that because it's something so many people are really into. Yeah. Um, How much and, of your time is spent like actually attempting to get better or I guess oh, zero. Like, like, falling I don't, into the game? Or, I, don't, I don't try to get better at the games, but... Do you get like wrapped up or absorbed in the game? Oh at all? yeah, I mean, I in terms of like generating the flow state, I find it's quite easy to do that even while streaming, because the big difference between gaming and poker is gaming is a tactile experience. Right. Poker isn't. So like when you're at, when you're forced to actually make movements with your hands and you're, you can, like you're focused on the screen, you can be talking about it, but you're still like really into it mm -hmm. and you can just be reacting and, and kind of uh, responding to what's going on. Um, so I'm not, I absolutely don't try to get better. Like I'm, I think just by nature of the amount of time I've spent gaming, I'm, kind of okay naturally at most games sure like i don't think there's a game you could throw me into where i would just completely suck at it mm -hmm. if i learn the ropes but like i whether i'm good or not has no bearing on what i'm doing like okay. i could play a game that i was terrible at and maybe it'd be really fun to watch me just fail at it you know sure. so like i guess i you, i guess you kind of have a choice with games where you can either play a lot of games and experience them and experience like the story aspects and and immerse yourself in the world of the game and things like that um or you can play one game and get really, really good at it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to be that guy because the um, there's always somebody who's spending more time on it than you. For sure. Like in gaming, there's is just there's going to be some Chinese kid that's like played it 500 times over, and you're just not going to be the 14 best. and has the rest of his life to crush. Yeah, exactly. You know. So um, yeah, I don't care about being good at games. Uh, I I really love uh story based games that you get really immersed in where you're taking on the role of a character that is really interesting and very, you know, maybe very, maybe very outside of uh, your real world experience. You know, I, I like that element of that fantasy element or um, not necessarily the, like the fantasy genre of games, but I, I like some element in a game that is not like the real world. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, I do play like Call of Duty and stuff sometimes, but like, I'm not going to be out there just playing like super realistic games. Yeah. I'm going to be out there playing some game where, I get to go kill zombies for four hours or, you know, whatever like that. It's going right. to be something fun. It's going to be casual. I might play some, some multiplayer games at some point, um, maybe playing against people from the, from the chat, playing against the community, who knows. But um, for the time being, I'm just picking games I like and sharing them with people, you know, because I feel like it's easy to be enthusiastic if you're genuinely enthusiastic about the game because, yeah. hey, look at this cool game, you know. Yeah. So um, that's a, for the time being, that's what I'm doing. But who knows how it'll evolve. When are we playing Mario Brothers? Mario Brothers? Yeah. Which Mario Brothers? The original, the original Mario Brothers? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I just ordered the an answer emulator. to that is whenever you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just ordered an emulator. It has like 900 awesome. Nintendo games. Okay, good. So uh, yes, you said before that you'd played uh, Red Dead Redemption as well. I, I would really love it. to play Red Dead okay. Redemption again. So what you, you have a choice, right? You have a choice where either we can do a stream where we play Red Dead Redemption mm -hmm. or uh, I can play through the first Red Dead Redemption and we can play Red Dead Redemption 2 on stream because Red Dead Redemption 2 came out like two years ago. Yeah, and it's yeah, supposed I have to be. It. Oh, you have it? Yeah. Have you played it yet? No. 
Okay. So I don't yeah. think I technically finished the first one. Oh, you didn't? Okay. I think I got like 70% of the way through. Oh, okay. So maybe we should play the first one. I'm then. open to either. Okay. I just know I spent an entire Christmas playing the first one. Okay. And then poker came back into my life. Ah, okay. When you say an entire Christmas, how long is that? Like four days? No, like two weeks. Oh, okay. That's yeah. cool. That's good. My yeah. nephew was young at the time. He was like 15. So we oh, got yeah. after it. Okay, nice. Yeah. So um, we could play the first Red Dead uh, and then we'll see where we're at with the second one. All we right. Can, I'm uh, in. Sounds good. All right. You can be my first charity stream. <laughs> <laughs> perfect all right yeah well, let's organize it let's sounds do it good, let's do it through uh our platform i'll co-stream it on on youtube too awesome sounds perfect all right you're on well thank you so much no problem this man. was enlightening i think everybody would get a lot out of it cool. um you know if you guys haven't already please like subscribe share with your friends spread the channel check out matt uh on twitch it's twitch mental health gaming it's mental underscore health underscore gaming okay yeah also, if you uh, are interested, the Alpha Red gear is in. Nice. Uh, so Conrad's going to go ahead and throw a little ad up for that. Uh, we're going to start shipping those out. I believe the hat's coming in a few days. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been a really fun uh, podcast. We'll have you on again soon. Absolutely. Maybe uh, even have Chin involved. If oh, geez. Don't do, don't do that to me. <laughs> We you got you got to at least be here to moderate it if you're gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll have a nice mental health discussion with you, Chin, and me moderating. Oh man! <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much. Uh, we will see you again next week.